Michael Smith, it's episode 26 of the Canes cast. It's not just about you going to the All-Star game this weekend. You know what else we've got going on? What's that? Chuck Caton joins us. Oh. Crowd noise only. Yeah, it's episode 26 of the Canes cast alongside the web's Michael Smith. And TV's Mike Maniscalco. I didn't get a tan on uh, the cruise vacation that I took last week. No, you got your base layer on the cruise, That's and now true. you're heading down to Tampa for the All-Star Game. Yes. So you can just go out there and drink it all in. Soak up the sun, my friend. Yep, that's uh, exactly what I plan on doing with uh, Noah Hannafin, who will be making his first uh, All-Star visit. Probably first of, I would have to imagine, uh, maybe a few more to come in his, uh, in his career. He will be turning 21 right before we go to Tampa. Yep. And uh, he'll be turning one in twenty-one in Montreal. So that's his, true. His birthday is uh, the day of the Habs game coming up. So, all right, let's kind of work in reverse. We won't talk about the games that have just happened out of the bye week. Let's take a look at the two games that are coming up. Because, as you mentioned, happy birthday to you, Mr. Hannafin. If you are listening to the Canes Cast on Thursday, it will be your birthday. If not, well, happy early birthday or happy belated birthday. From Michael and Mike here. Happy birthday either way. <laughs> I doubt works. he listens. Yeah, there was a lot of lot of stretching out there on the birthday talk. But <laughs> two games on the road at Pittsburgh, at Montreal, places that are traditionally hard to win at because, A, how good Pittsburgh has been, and, B, Montreal is just always tough at home regardless of their record. So you look at these games and you'd be, oh, this is a tough stretch for the Canes. I'm going to go and be a ray of sunshine if I can. The Canes have handled the Penguins this year. Bill Peters told us earlier today, his team gets up for playing Pittsburgh, and you have to. In Montreal, that great old mayor ain't what she used to be. So I think you can go up to Montreal. They're a, a little bit of team dysfunction right now and find a way to get two points in a tough building. So while it is a tough stretch, you got two games, leave it all out there, and you get to take another mini vacation and rest up and maybe right. get to where you need to be for a huge home run at the end of January and basically all of February, this team's in Raleigh. Yeah, it's uh, Pittsburgh. I think the last time the, these two teams met up in Pittsburgh, the situation was kind of different. I think Pittsburgh was maybe chasing Carolina in the standings uh, by just a few points. Now it's it's Carolina giving chase to Pittsburgh by a little bit of a, a wider margin. But yeah, as, as Bill Peters said today, his team gets up for playing Pittsburgh. I think most teams do get up for playing Pittsburgh, especially with the, the recent successes that they've had. Uh, you might have heard a little bit about those. Yeah, I believe they're the two-time. Two-time yes. defending champions. So, uh, yeah, a, a chance for the Hurricanes to, to get back in, in the win column after uh, what was a disappointing game on Sunday against uh, now the NHL's top team, the Vegas Golden Knights. Who would have seen that coming? Nobody did. Yeah. And, by the way, that team is – they're for real. Yeah. That, that isn't this record. The fact that they have 31 wins right now, they're two wins away from becoming – Tying the record for most wins by an expansion franchise in NHL history, they're going to blow right past that number, there's no doubt. Mm -hmm. But they're assembled well, they're well coached, that's a good team. And if you don't put your best foot on the ice, Michael, they're going to do to you what they did to the Carolina Hurricanes on Sunday. They'll, they'll beat you, and they'll beat you by a wide margin. Yeah, and though Pittsburgh doesn't have that same record this year, it's going to be the same story in Pittsburgh. If you don't come out and put your best foot forward, that's a team, especially in their own building, that can jump on you and jump on you quick. The The Hurricanes were able to get the jump on the Penguins in yep. their last time at, uh, at PPG Paints Arena, uh, formerly uh, Consol Energy Center. Uh, and that's what the Hurricanes are going to need uh, on on Tuesday is a, is a similar effort uh, that then allows them to to gain a little ground on on what we've talked about is is a, a hyper competitive division. It's it's going to come down 
to that fourth and fifth place in the Metropolitan Division for those two wildcard spots. I don't see the, the teams in the Atlantic, Montreal included, making enough of a push uh, to disrupt what's happening in the Metropolitan Division. So Tuesday's game in Pittsburgh, one of those proverbial four-point games, becomes yep. that much more important. See, I keep trying to forecast if anybody from the Atlantic outside of their top three can be that team. And I keep wanting to say there's going to be one and maybe it's Florida. But the more you watch that division play, their top three teams are, are all that's going to make it in the Eastern Conference for the playoffs. And you're right. This team has to put their best foot forward against Pittsburgh. So how do they stop doing the, you know, let's take one step forward, two steps back. I can make a reference to either the movie Real Genius or Paula Abdul. So I'll leave it to you. Let's go Paula. Okay. Remember, you take two steps forward. I take one step back. That's because opposites attract. There you go. Wow. Thank you. Hopefully she doesn't listen. I hope she us. doesn't listen. So, Paula, that was for you. Very, when I was a teenage teenager, very, very important. Yeah. Thank you, Paula. Uh, but that the Canes have to stop that. Right? They have to, to stop doing this. You know, the, the cha-cha reference from Real Genius was what I was going to make. You take mm -hmm. two steps forward, two steps back. Now we're cha-chaing. I worked them both in for you. They have to put in real off wins. And how is Philadelphia still in this this race well, they win 10 in a row, then they lose six in a row, but then they come right back and win seven in a row. That's not the healthiest way to do it, but you've got to get chunks of points. And this is the time for the Carolina Hurricanes to do that, where they can catch up to the Rangers, where they can catch up to the Penguins, and they've got to find consistency. And I think that is the most frustrating thing for the coaches, for the players, certainly for the fans. You know, we cover the team, we get frustrated by it because they came back off of the bye week in Detroit. Now let's look back off of the bye. Mm -hmm. And they get a great start in a brand-new building, Little Caesars Arena. Get a power play goal. Get two power play goals from Elias Lindholm. They put together a, a really good road game. And then they don't have their legs against Vegas the next night. And any momentum that you had moving forward is now halted. And you've got to keep trying to restart the engine. And, and that's just not a way that you're going to make up ground, especially in the Metro this year. Yeah, this this weekend set of games was sort of emblematic for me of the way this team has, has played the entire season. It's been almost a, a tale of two teams, really. Uh, a team that, that you see finds a way on the road, coming off a break against a team that, that had been playing, obviously hadn't played since Tuesday, but had been practicing practicing against a team that was was sitting there waiting for the hurricanes they come out and they figure out a way to to get it done in the third period and then they come back and, and you knew it would be kind of a test again coming off the bye week a back-to-back -back, less than uh 24 hours in between the games against uh now the nhl's top team you knew it was going to going to be another test in, in game two but you also hoped that you know, as uh, you, you play coming off the break, your legs get better and better, and, and, and maybe you find sort of a second win for that uh, for the Sunday tilt against Vegas, and it just never happened. There, were, there was a stretch in the first period, uh, head coach Bill Peters pointed out, that, that it was kind of up and down. It, the pace was, was kind of quick uh, both ways, high-end game, as he likes to say. But uh, the, the Hurricanes weren't able to sustain it. They dug themselves too big of a hole early on to, to break out of. Uh, Jacob Slavin's power play goal at the end of the first period gave the team some life. Uh, but Vegas came out in the second and third and just continued to build their game. They were in Raleigh waiting on the Hurricanes, and they did what any good team does in that situation when you're facing a, a team that's that's probably tired coming off a of back-to-back yep. with travel. Uh, they jump on them early, and they don't give them a chance to get into the game, and that's what you saw. And it is frustrating, and and the Hurricanes are going to have to to figure out how to overcome the frustration because that's that's what's holding them back right now. It's just the the the, the lack of consistency. 
Um, and that's if you're going to make the playoffs, you have to be a more consistent team. And it's just it's as simple as that. All right. So let's play a, a little game. I'll throw a couple of things at you. I'll give you a few observations. This isn't if you like it. OK, this is something completely. We'll different. play that later. So it works this way. Positive or negative? Which way do you want to go? Because I've got a positive and a negative that we need to address here on the Canes game. Let's go negative first, and then we'll work our way to the positive. All right. The negative right now, the Carolina Hurricanes need to get more consistency out of their other goaltender right now, who is Scott Darling. So how do they get that? Bill Peters today said there's going to be a long talk with Mike Bales, Scott Darling, and himself. They're going to talk either on the plane or they're meeting right now as we're recording the Canes cast here, episode 26, The Quest for Consistency. Uh, we're trying to do that on our podcast as well, but that has to change. And I've said this a few times that for me, one of the most ironic things about this season is the Hurricanes had looked for a backup goalie, a compliment to Cam Ward for a bunch of seasons. And this year they found that compliment and it's Cam Ward as the backup right. goalie. But they've got to get the consistency for Scott Darling. But I, I've said it before, Cam Talbot did not excel going from a backup to a starter in Edmonton. A few other goaltenders have had the same thing when they're thrust in that starting position. Connor Hellebuck last year in Winnipeg was not good, and this year he's a Vesna Trophy candidate. Yeah, and an so, all-star. And those are some of those things where it does take time to adjust. The systems are different. The players are different, even though, yes, there are a lot of Chicago Blackhawks, former Blackhawks on this team. The coaching is different. So there's things you just have to get used to. I'm willing to give the leeway, but if the Canes are going to make a playoff push, they need both goaltenders down the stretch to get there. Yeah, they definitely do. Uh, and I think the thing for me, too, is we've seen uh, Scott Darling play like the number one goaltender yes. that, that uh, everyone knew that he could be. I mean, the Hurricanes were, were one among many teams seeking out his services as a starting goaltender in the offseason. Well, I, I point to two games, Michael, and you don't have to go that far back to see him no. to show that Scott Darling can be a number one. The Columbus game after the 13-day the road trip where they played in Buffalo the night before and then fly to Raleigh and they don't have time to, to regroup and Scott Darling won that game. You know, yep. He gave them the chance to win. Yep. And then just about, what, a week and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, mm -hmm. they go into Washington and he is brilliant against a Caps team that can light the lamp. He is great. They win on the road in Washington. He gives up one goal to a Caps team. That's a huge win for yep. this team. So yep. he's he can do it. Now it's the question of, Keep doing it. Keep getting to that level of consistency. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of mirrors the the team as a whole. The team as a whole needs to be more consistent uh, in front of him. And I think when you see that that complete package put together, I think both him and the team are going to become more successful. All so right. now the positive. Well, the positive is off of a negative, which is the Sebastian Ajo injury, where he has the concussion that's been documented and a lower body injury, and that's been released by the team. Just from right head to toe injured yeah he's got an upper and lower body concern as it's it's out there but the positive for me was Elias Lindholm's performance against the Detroit Red Wings and kind of the edge and the fire that he played with he doesn't show up on the the stat sheet that much against Vegas but not a lot of guys did but he had a huge hit he got involved in a fight with John Marcheseau if that's what you want to call it but, you know, he had a bit of an edge. That sparked the team. It led to a power play. That led to Jacob Slavin's goal. But uh, Elias Lindholm, in the quest of, you know, who's going to fill in Sebastian Ajo's offensive shoes uh, in, in his skates? Well, you don't have to, to be Sebastian Ajo. But Elias Lindholm got to, and Bill Peters called him, the beast. You know, he yeah. got to that level. Yeah. And that's what this team needs out of him. So I think that that was a positive. He's going to get to his game. Now can the rest of the team 
get to that game. But I think that that was a big positive. And Brett Pesci, I think, is closer to coming back. We thought he was going to come back after the bye. Didn't work out. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him either in Pittsburgh or if we get a chance to see him in Montreal. Yeah, nobody is Sebastian. Nobody can replace Sebastian Ajo. Not even the Sebastian Ajo who plays for the New York Islanders. Even he is not Sebastian Ajo. No, he's not. He is, but he's not. Well, I know. Well, he's Swedish, not Finnish. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, Elias. defenseman. Yes, exactly. So. And he's he's probably fine, but he's probably not as good no. as this Sebastian Ajo. Uh, I would rather have the Sebastian Ajo instead of a Sebastian Ajo. Correct. And Elias Lindholm, I think, has stepped up. I think uh, we've talked about him before on this podcast being kind of a quietly good player for the Hurricanes this season. Um, and he does... Um, you know, he he didn't shy away from the physicality uh, against Vegas with that with the hit on on Nate Schmidt uh, against the boards. And the weird thing to me, the 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 silly kind of dumb thing about hockey, why, especially Vegas's leading scorer, why would he feel the need then to go after Elias Lindholm for what was a completely clean hit? I know toughness and standing up for your teammate and blah blah blah, but it's just it's why. I like seeing that. But I'm also, look, I'm also a dinosaur. I'll admit it. I I don't know when I got old, but I got old. And for me, it's one of these things, Michael, that I like it when teammates stick up for each other. I mean, you want to see that. If you think that somebody took a liberty on a teammate, you have to let the other team know this this aggression will not stand, man. I agree. It's not going to happen. And I'll put it in these terms. You play a lot of ball hockey for the Carolina Hurricanes uh, a tropical, tropical depression. depressions. I was looking for minor, 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 not even league team. Yeah, just like negative A team. If, if, you, if you and I played, <clears throat> I'm getting choked up with emotion. Oh, no. no. If you and I played and I saw somebody take a cheap shot on you, they're going to answer to me for it. Correct. And I don't care if I'm the best player on the team or the worst player on the team. They're going to have to answer. And that's why when you see in that instance Jonathan Marcheseau who is 5'9", and like I think 170 pounds, holding a brick, soaking wet, go after Elias Lindholm, that for your team gives you the, all right, all right, yeah. And if you're willing to do that, there's that that willing to play for each other. And I I am going to get into all of the cliches about sports and what makes a great team and all that. But, you know, good teams and guys who enjoy playing on the same team and being in that locker room, they do that for each other. Yeah. You know, they stand up for each other. So that's why. I get it. I, and I guess in, in Marcheseau's view, Lindholm took yeah. uh, a liberty with Nate Schmidt. But yeah. but I think – I don't think he did. No, not at all. I don't think that, that Lindholm did. No. But that is the view of what, you know, the the Vegas Golden Knights yeah. forward saw from his kinda, vantage point. It's kind of silly. And also silly, too, that then – um, even though gloves were dropped, but Marcheseau got yeah. his gloves off. I'm not sure if Lindholm got his gloves off. So I, I suppose that's why the roughing uh, penalties were assessed as called. But if it's a fighting major, then you're looking at Marcheseau getting an instigator penalty. Yep. They're without, they're without their leading score for ten minutes. That could have changed the game, you know, even but, more so than. But also, it's three nothing too at the time. That's for true. Vegas. Yeah, and you know, I think time and place score dictates things and. You know, go. It's, this isn't hockey 101. But if my team's up three to nothing, and you're going to start doing that, you're going to start running around. We're not going to just let you check us into the boards all night long. You, we're going to be here. We're not just going to skate figure eights until the clock hits zero in the third period. So there's a lot to it. I, I had zero problem with the Elias Lindholm hit. I thought it was clean. Yeah. You know, Nate Schmidt faced him. He finished him off. That's what you're supposed to do. 
And the old school in me, I don't have a problem with what Jonathan Marshall did either. Speaking of old school hockey, we got the chance to speak with one Charles Caton, the radio voice of your Carolina Hurricanes, uh, and we touched on a number of subjects. Here he is. Well, some voices need no introduction. The only voice in the history of the organization that's the Hartford Whalers and Carolina Hurricanes, Chuck Caton, joining us here on the Canescast. Chuck, first off, thanks for doing this. And second, that doesn't mean you're old. That just means you're very good. Well, I appreciate that, Mike and Michael. Uh, it's good to be with all of our fans. I mean, that's the number one thing. And, uh, you know, 39 years of the NHL, I think, is what you're alluding to. And uh, it has been a treat uh, every single year. And I, I seem to be feeling younger and younger every year because uh, the kids uh, – keep you young the players win or lose and the game is great and the game is uh, certainly different from when I started but uh, always great to be with you too as well well let's get in a little bit about this year's edition of the Carolina Hurricanes you know they, they keep doing that cha-cha Chuck where they'll they'll win four and then they'll lose two or three what does this team need to do to put the consistency together and, and pull off a, a huge win streak because looking at the schedule this is a tough week at Pittsburgh at Montreal I don't care how bad Montreal is but now you got to a schedule that set up eight home games, what, 10 of 13 at, at home in February. What does this team need to do to put a consistent effort out there? I think the biggest thing uh, is uh, they've got to shore up their uh, ability to play with a little bit more intensity consistently. I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, you can talk about talent all you want. You can talk about uh, we need to improve the power play or the penalty killing. But for me, uh, it, it's good old-fashioned hard work. I mean, take a look at what we saw from the Vegas Golden Knights the other night. Uh, they were a team that uh, just came in and played simple hockey. That's what I think Bill Peters uh, wants to demand from the Hurricanes. But everybody in that room, it seems to me, has to have the attitude that every shift is important. We can't take a shift off. And it might sound like a cliche, but you have to win one-on-one -on -one battles. You have to make simple plays. Uh, and, and I think that uh, the Hurricanes have not done that consistently enough. Uh, if one area has accelerated, the other one is deflated. You know, whether it's been the power play better lately, but the penalty killing isn't there. But it's got to be the goaltending. I mean, we could go on and on about all of that as yeah. well with Scott Darling and the problems he's had. But uh, for me, it gets down to everybody playing with a lot more grit and uh, determination. You mentioned the game changing a lot over the years. What has been one of the biggest ways that you've seen the game change from when you started uh, calling games for what was then the Hartford Whalers to, to today? Well, I think it's it's the rules, Michael, that have changed uh, the game. Uh, and not only the speed and the athleticism of the players and the nutrition and the uh, uh, the fact that uh, players today, whether it's the money they make or the attitude of today's athlete versus 25 or 30 years ago, for me, it is the, uh, the, the, the changes we've made in the ice. Uh, the taking out of the red line has been the biggest uh, manifestation of the changes for me. Uh, I think the fact that uh, you have brought video into the coaching realm that has completely changed the game because it was years ago. I remember when you would send a pro scout out or two of them out to scout the next two or three opponents, and you had to have a budget for that. And I know some teams did it well, other teams didn't do it well, but you had a live person watching the game and then filing a written report to the coach about that game. Today, you have not one but two video people 
uh, with this particular team, and you have all the resources technologically to know every move that your opponent's going to make. So in that sense, it's become like the National Football League, and in that sense, uh, it has really stifled, I feel, a lot of player creativity. And uh, the, the, the surprise element that coaches would like to try to instill against their opponent, whether it was how they patterned their power play, how they killed their penalties, everybody knows everybody's business today, uh, just like it is in the social media world. So I mean, I guess it's an extension of that whole thing. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I still say the red line, taking out the red line and allowing players to pass the puck from the side of their own net all the way to the other blue line has also changed the game quite a bit. Well, let me ask you, and I know this is something that in a, another iteration of my career we talked about a lot, but is the game played, and this is going to sound weird for some, but I know you can explain it, is the game being played too fast? Absolutely is played too fast. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I, I, and I don't think... It's anybody over the age of 45 or 50 that feels that way. I think there's a lot of younger I think the players themselves probably wish the game was maybe slowed down a bit for their standpoint because they're required to think at light speed now, whereas in uh, the, quote, old days, you, you, you know, time was one or two seconds. Today, it's a half second you have to make to make a play. And that's a big difference, you know, when you're moving the puck. And that's why you see a lot of randomness and you don't see guys handling the puck. They're not encouraged to stick hands or handle it one or two strides, then make a, a nice 10 or 12 foot pass. They're encouraged to get it out as quickly, move the puck, and that's good to a certain extent, but to me at times it, it takes away from the beauty of hockey and the passing and uh, the pretty plays, uh, executing odd man rushes because it is too fast. Guys are in a hurry to make a play and the puck flips on you and, and you can't make that play. It, it just uh, kind of discombobulates things. So if you were solely in charge of the competition committee, uh, tomorrow what is the first rule change that you would instill? I would add the red line, Michael, and, and I would bring in uh, perhaps a, a, a wonderful idea from a brilliant person that should be listened to more often, Scotty Bowman, who has the idea of putting a uh, line at the top of the circles in each zone. A ringette line. A ringette line. Right. And if you are inside that line in your own end, you cannot make a pass across the center line. The center line would be an offside line for a pass, so you would eliminate that long 80-, 85-foot stretch pass. Uh, and the reason you would do that, uh, believe it or not, it would create more offense because what happens today is if teams know you're going to make the stretch pass, what happens to your defensemen? They have to cheat backwards so that they don't let the forward sneak behind them because if they do, they can take a pass at their blue line. You know, And if it clicks, they're behind you. Right. So it would encourage defenses to get into the offense. So once you pass that ringette line, you are allowed to pass it to the other blue line. That would be one, I don't think, such a subtle change that would change the game quite a bit. Or I could be Mr. Traditionalist and say, let's get back to the red line. Let's not allow two-line passes from inside your line across center ice. Let those 10-foot passes and those pretty plays be made at the expense of uh, the New Jersey Devil style, which was to lock people up or to, uh, uh, to trap. But guess what? I watched the 1994 Stanley Cup Finals the other day and the semifinals between the Devils, who are allegedly the biggest trap team in hockey, back then and the New York Rangers. That game was a thoroughly entertaining game because you saw tape-to-tape -tape passes, you saw on-site passes, you didn't see a lot of the, the trapping. You had a wonderfully entertaining game seven at Madison Square Garden and it carried over to the playoffs and I don't know, somehow we've lost that.
Also, you didn't have icing every five seconds either, Chuck. Well, that's right. And I think the only great improvement here, guys, is that uh, the automatic icing. We know about the Yoni picking our fans know what happened to Yoni, and there were other injuries. I think the automatic icing is fine. I came from a college background where we always had it. So that's a good rule, the you know, touch icing. But please bring back the red line. Please listen to Scotty Bowman about the ringette rule, and I think it would improve the game. And I think the players would enjoy it too because you're seeing it at the youth level. Uh, where uh, coaches are encouraging players to move the puck quick to the other blue line or have a guy out there cherry-picking, that's not hockey. Well, Chuck, there is something I wanted to ask you about, though. 19 years of Hartford Whaler hockey uh, in the National Hockey League for people who want to bring up the WHA, but you've been the voice of the NHL. But 20 years here in the Carolinas, I mean, does it feel like it's been 20 years? And, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to pick your favorite moment, but what stands out for you watching hockey grow in an area where nobody ever thought the NHL would take root? Well, that is a great question. It actually happened to me the other day after the Vegas Golden Knights game. I went to our mutual friend's fine place, the Tobacco Road Sports Cafe, if I can give them a plug. And I visited, I just walked in, and uh, I ran into about five or six people with southern accents who came up to me and said, Thank you for having hockey here. And I said, well, don't mistake me for Mr. Carmanos. Uh, you know, I might look like him a little bit, but I'm not. No, 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 we know you are. And, and, but it, 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 he says, thank you because hockey. And that, to me, is the greatest thing we can say because when we landed here off of the planet Mars in 1997, I thought this was the most uh, surrealistic situation Raleigh, North Carolina. When I saw the Montreal Canadiens going into the Greensboro Coliseum for the first time, and I looked at the face of Pierre Maguire, now of NBC, who was the color man for the Canadiens English radio then, I said, this is, I, I, this is crazy. How am I seeing the Canadians in the Greensboro Cup? But boy, we come a long way since then. Hockey's grown, and I think that with future success of the team, it's gonna grow even more, and I think that's the best thing. But hearing those people with Southern accents saying, Thank you all for bringing hockey here. It's, it's great. For me, it was tremendous. Hey, over your time, and you mentioned Greensboro Coliseum, obviously PNC Arena now. Me and Mike have talked about it before. You've probably called games, regular season games, in what, 70-plus buildings? Well, you've got a better maybe, count than I, Michael. I, I mean, that's, I, what, that's what we just estimated. I, yeah. Maybe. Probably, yeah, that's plus. probably right. I mean, like, we could probably, well, you take a look at Montreal, you had two of them. Toronto, right. you've had two of them. I mean, you can go down the list. Uh, I did not work in the old Madison Square Garden, although that's been renovated twice since I've been in the right. NHL. And very well now, uh, Barclays Center, Nassau Coliseum, I mean, you always stop and think of it, it is probably about 70. Landover and now uh, Capital One Center. I yeah. mean, yeah. So to get your perspective, uh, you obviously call games at, at Joe Lewis Arena, that building. Uh, what's it like there versus at the new place that uh, the Hurricanes just visited, Little Caesars Arena? Well, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I don't think I made any secret of it. I was not happy with the press box accommodations at Joe Louis Arena. So when we walked in there, the highlight for me, and I was asked this by Detroit Radio when we were there last week, uh, what was the highlight? It was seeing the Howes play there for the first time. That was the biggest thing at Joe Louis Arena back in January of 1980 when Mark, Marty, and Gordy uh, took the ice, took the opening face off, and the, the Whalers beat the Red Wings uh, back then in, in that game as well. But 
But no, Little Caesars Arena, uh, it, I, I think from a fan standpoint, I, for a fan, I think Joe Louis Arena, you're closer. But the lower seats at, Joe, at uh, Little Caesars Arena are good for the fans. And it's all about the fans. If they feel comfortable there. But from our standpoint, I think you guys would agree. Uh, I know, Michael, you weren't there particularly, but you will be there the next time. But for Mike, you, you got to figure that, that it's just a wonderful venue for yeah. broadcasters and, and uh, people to cover the game. And it's spectacular. All right, Chuck, one last thing for you from me. Uh, for a lot of people who are just new to hockey or weren't uh, into it, I don't know if they ever got to experience reading a Red Fisher column about hockey. Uh, the, the great, the historic, he's one of the icons of sports writing for Canada. He passed away this week. I know that you're going to be attending his funeral, but can you tell people what it meant to read a Red Fisher column when you were a kid growing up. I mean, he was, he and I think Foster Hewitt are the two names that stand out to me for hockey royalty as far as coverage of the game. You know, our good friend Stan Fischler, who's still, what, now in his 100th season of covering hockey. But those guys, they just don't make them anymore. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I'm glad you brought up Red uh, because he has covered, this is how long he's covered the game. He's covered it longer than I've been alive, and uh, that's going back into the late 40s, early 50s. And I think the biggest secret and the biggest uh, testimony I can give to Red Fisher is that there was not one player, coach, or management person who ever felt that he was anything less than a professional. Uh, they could confide in him. Uh, they could uh, tell him. And so by him getting as much information from those principal people, he could disseminate in a very colorful and fluid way uh, the, the sentiment of a game, the, uh, the tenor of a game, and yet give you, uh, as they call them, the scoops of what's going on behind the scenes without embarrassing anybody, uh, without compromising anybody. And I think the biggest compliment we get in broadcasting is, well, you paint the picture. Well, Red Fisher on the written word, uh, on paper, really painted the picture of a uh, hockey game, whether it was the old uh, Montreal Canadiens, the six-team NHL, or in his transitional years as he saw the game grow uh, to what it is today, the 31 teams. The exact same way you paint the picture for all of us. Chuck, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Always good to catch up uh, with, with Chuck. He's uh, Anytime you speak with him, no matter what it is, uh, he seems to have some colorful, exciting, uh, interesting story yep. that he can share from his time in the league. And great ideas about you know how to make the game a little bit better. He's seen every game but one for this franchise. So great wealth, great resource for yes. us to have. Uh, I was going to say great wealth of knowledge for us to be able to draw off of. He does know things, and he does tell us them as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Proud noise only. So we're set with that. Thank you. <laughs> a few other things, Michael. All right. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. I'll start off because I know that you rarely have one. I've got go. a couple. Oh, oh my. <laughs> yeah, at right. least two. All right, then let me get my one out of the way. Okay. And it kind of piggybacks off of what you asked, Chuck. But if there's something in the game today that you could change, I don't care if it's a rule or the size of the rank or whatever, if there's something you could change in the game today, take out or add in, what would you do? Mine, and, and I, I'm going to bang this drum, get rid of the shootout, and let's bring back ties. And I know that the whole argument has always been people want to see a winner and a loser. Bring back ties. Let hockey games be worth two points again, not three points. 
because I'm sick and tired of sitting here watching games go to three points and it becomes almost impossible to make up ground in the NHL. Yeah, I'm fine with uh, not having ties, but then I think the point structure does need to be revamped a bit, but it doesn't sound like there's any interest in doing that because it creates this parity, faux or not, uh, as you see in the standings right now, where basically the entire Metropolitan Division, whether you're in last place or first place, is vying for a playoff spot. So that's I think that's why uh, the point structure isn't going to change. But I, I'll take the shootout because uh, I, I don't actually mind having a, a winner and a loser. All right. So you're, you're sending it back. You're not yeah, I'm, I'm sending it back. All right. That's fine. I'm excited. You have several of these, so fire away. Yeah. Uh, so we, we talked about, uh, you know, Elias Lindholm, Jonathan March, so Nate Schmidt, that whole thing. Uh, you you take it back before the bye week, and, and Mark Giordano catches Sebastian Ajo. We mentioned his injuries, concussion, and lower body, both sustained on that one hit from uh, the Calgary Flames defenseman. He was penalized uh, for the check to the head, uh, got the match penalty for that, which the Department of Player Safety deemed uh, appropriate enough. They didn't see fit to, to then uh, give him any su- supplementary uh, discipline. We talked about it on the podcast last week. Yep. That was immediately after the game, uh, and I think we both kind of thought that he might receive some sort of yeah, uh, I, I thought a fine at yeah. least so and, and so that's my question to you their ruling to to not uh further penalize him take it or send it back all right not to talk out of both sides of my mouth <laughs> but here's why I'm going to send back them not administering any further punishment because Andrew Cogliano who had played in 830 consecutive games with the Anaheim Ducks and the Edmonton Oilers uh he saw that Ironman streak snapped for a hit that I saw that was less than what Mark Giordano had. And again, I'm going to go agree. back to, and I'm not going to back off of my, my original thought. I don't think there was an intent to injure, at least on the shoulder, the shoulder to, you know, Sebastian Ajo. And he catches him up high, but Sebastian Ajo is cutting across the middle and we can debate whether or not, you know, who's at fault for that. But if you look and see it again in slow motion, Giordano sticks out his knee, and those are hits they want to get rid of, the knee-to-knee hits. They had a knee-to-knee hit that they could choose or an up-high targeting hit that they could have choose. And if you're going to suspend Cogliano in Anaheim for a hit that I saw, and I'm like, that, that's close, but, man, I've seen far worse and nothing happens, and yeah. we just saw it. So that's why I'm going to – I'm gonna. do I have to take it or do I got to send it back? Uh, send it back, yeah. yeah send I, it back. I, I, I'm going to send it back as well because – uh, yeah, I, I don't think there was any intent there, and he did keep his shoulder in. But regardless, regardless of whether there was intent, regardless of what he did with his body, he still caught Sebastian Ajo high. Yeah. And if the league wants to get rid of those hits, if the league is serious about the safety of its players, the, the, the well-being of its players' heads, brains, all of that, then they need to get serious about penalizing these these hits. And they did in-game. They penalized him with the match penalty. And I think that that's what they're going to say is that they gave him enough that and, and they to threw me, him that, out of the game. Yeah, and to me that doesn't seem to be enough. I mean, we see – I know this is a completely different sport, but along the same lines of a sport at least attempting to, to try to seem like it's protecting its players' heads, the NFL, um, it, it, regardless of intent, if a player catches another player helmet to helmet, there's going to be a suspension levied. I mean, we saw it with Thomas Davis and the Carolina Panthers. Obviously didn't mean to catch uh, the receiver up high. But did and was initially sus- suspended for two games. 
two out of uh, they only play 16 regular season games. Uh, and so for, I expected at least maybe a game or two uh, for Giordano for that hit. Uh, as you mentioned, both the head and uh, the lower body, whether intent was there or not, it's a type of hit that should not be in the game. Yeah, I mean, they had, going back and looking at it again, like I said, I hate that I had to draw off of another hit in suspension that I saw, Right. but that's what I'm drawing off of. All right, you said you had another one. Yes, uh, and this is, we love our, our kind folks at uh, Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Um, I got a new car a few months ago. I think we've discussed it on the podcast, and it came with a trial for, for Sirius XM. And I've listened to it a little bit, not the not the talk radio uh, so much, because I do find the appeal of that, and I do find the appeal of their musical stations as well. But one thing that bugs me to no end is how poor the sound quality is on the music stations, especially. And so my take it or leave it is is satellite radio, not necessarily Sirius XM, but satellite radio. Take it or leave it, and I, I say this. Uh, to a person I know coming from a terrestrial radio background. Mm-hmm. so um, No, I'll take satellite radio. Okay. I will, and the sound is actually really good. You must have awesome I, ears because the sound is really good it for just, me in my car. It bugs me with the, the highs. You hear it on, like, the cymbals or, uh, you know, the hi-hats or anything. It just gets muddled, and I, I just – it, it the, bugs me. The thing that I would send back on satellite radio, especially on the music channels, is if I'm paying for it, I don't need – a DJ who is annoying. <laughs> um, I, I don't need you to, you know, burp a song in the microphone for me. That's the wacky morning zoo that I could get for free. Right. I'm paying to not hear that. I'm paying to just hear the music. But seeing there is a Beatles channel dedicated, yeah. a dedicated E Street Radio for Bruce Springsteen, a dedicated Tom Petty channel. I got three channels right there that I could just put on and drive. Willie Nelson, be happy. Oh, Pearl yeah. Jam. Willie's Outlaw Country. I forgot Pearl Jam, which is just two stations up from uh, Bruce Springsteen. That was uh, always. And Elvis Presley, for those of you who go even yeah. older school. So Pearl Jam stuff. Radio was always Kyle Hanlon's go-to when he was, uh, uh, you know, handling the uh, DJ duties in the Hurricanes oh, locker room. Yeah, I'm, I'm well aware. No, I'll, I'll take it. I'm going I'm to send it back only because the sound quality just bugs me wow. to no end. And I understand they, you know, they have so much content between, uh, you know, after the merger between XM and Sirius, and they yeah. have to compress the songs and everything. But it just, to me, it sounds like I'm listening to a song off a YouTube video at like 140p. It's just not good enough. All right. And I wish it was. Okay. And with the, the bevy of other streaming options, but I do, I get the appeal from a content standpoint because you have really, really good talk radio, and then you have basically anything that you're looking for. No. Maybe yeah, not really good so talk radio. It depends on depends on time and place. Yeah. But from a guy who used to do talk radio, trust me, if you landed on my station, <laughs> depending on time and place of what I was talking about. I figured it'd more. be an interesting question for someone no. who came from a terrestrial no. radio At background. At first, I, w- I was the guy. I'm like, why would I pay for something that's free? But then, you know, when you realize nothing in this world is free. Exactly. I mean, and if you want, uh, you know, your own mix, I guess you have to go out and look at spotify premium or pandora or something there's an option for everyone i think to me it sounds no different than you know anything if you go to regular radio terrestrial and then you go to satellite you'll hear the difference yeah i mean you just pick it up so plus they generally don't speed up their songs like terrestrial radio stations do so they can sneak in more songs in an hour Ooh, that's a real thing an inside secret i'm not inside anymore so i can i can do the tell-all but really uh you know if you're listening to things in your car in your ears hopefully it's us yeah 
And we appreciate that. That's a good thing. Yeah. So, and uh, again, rate us on the old. Rate us on iTunes. Or uh, Google Play. Review us and subscribe uh, so you don't miss an episode. We appreciate uh, everyone listening uh, week in and week out. That's what makes this this whole thing fun is yes. knowing that you guys are listening. And honestly, that's why we, we do this every single week that we can. You know, even when Michael was heading on a cruise on the bye week and yep. uh, we'll talk to him as soon as he comes back. Uh, you'll be back on Monday from the All-Star Game, right? Yes, uh, and we'll uh, we'll try to get Noah Hannafin in just to get his take on his uh, first All-Star experience. All right, which, by the way, what are you excited about going to the All-Star Game? Because you and I went last year in Los Angeles. A lot of good memories, lots of good times from it. But what, what's your favorite part? What do you love to cover from the job perspective? So people out there, the access you get that the the everyday fan doesn't get, although there's a ton of access for the fans at the All-Star Games, yes. what's the one thing that you like the behind the scenes that's pretty cool? It's just all around it's a fun weekend because you're seeing the players in such a different environment, such a laid-back, non-competitive environment, even though it does get competitive when you're playing for that million dollars in the final three-on-three yeah. -three game. But you're just you're seeing the players hang out with their peers and interact with their peers, uh, guys who they've played with before, whether it's in college, juniors, uh, in the AHL, you know, wherever on different teams, uh, and you're getting to see the best that this sport has to offer come together uh, and put on a show that's just great for fans. And it, it's it's such a unique event in that sense that that the players have their guard down and uh, you know that it's not you know, make or break two points on the line. There's a million dollars on the line. Yeah. And Justin Falk won that last year, or at least a cut of it with the Metropolitan Division. So Noah Hannafin has big things to live up to this year. But it's going to be fun for me, too, to see Noah Hannafin and his friends and his family take in the weekend yeah. and just experience it. Because, again, he's he'll be a day into his 21st year uh, on this earth. And for him to be able to experience uh, a weekend like NHL All-Star is just going to be fantastic for yeah, him. Yeah, uh, the one thing that I love about it is when you're in the locker room and you see the players interacting with each other, you know, uh, technically away from the media, right. but you see guys who play against each other, how they either get along or maybe they don't get along. Some of those dynamics, uh, that's always a good thing for me. All right, well, that'll do that. No movie review this time around. No. But uh, lots of good food for you in Tampa. I expect a bit of an update for that. Sure. Yeah, we went to a good, what, salad place last time we were down there. Yes, we did. Absolutely. Maybe we'll have to do that. Oh, no. Uh, you only get to go twice this year. So. Yeah, this will be the last time in Tampa. <sighs> kind of weird, especially coming from the Southeast Division when these two teams at one point played each other eight times. Oh, I know. I am aware. How the times, they are changing. Well, that'll do it for episode 26 of the Canes cast. Charles in charge. <laughs> For Chuck Hayton. And TV's Mike Maniscalco. Well, I didn't even say your web's Michael Smith. Oh, I thought, I you, I thought you, we I were doing. I set you up for something there. Oh. And I said, you know, for Chuck Hayton. And then you just immediately said TV's Mike Maniscalco. Yeah. I thought I thought then you were going to go back. I was back going and to, we but were, you jumped right in. It, that was going to be a tic-tac-toe play that just didn't really work. All right. Well, let's do this again. We've, okay. re we've regained possession in the zone. Yeah. It's episode 26 of the Canes cast. Charles in charge for Chuck Hayton. I'm the web's Michael Smith. No. <laughs> this is where you. I'm Ron Burgundy. Whenever we say Chuck Hayton's <laughs> name. Proud noise only. Thank you. There we go. There we go. We nailed Thank it. Thank you. Finally. So now that'll do it for the web's Michael Smith. And TV's Mike Maniscalco. Uh, he's going to the all-star game. We'll talk to you <laughs> next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>